Hi, this is April Richardson, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Nick Thune on moving away from the guitar in his stand-up comedy set. Traveling with the guitar was absolute hell. So that was one of the things that really kind of pushed me. Like, do, do you really want to continue to go through PSA with the guitar? Have them ask what the battery's for. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to deal with it anymore. It's made my life easier in general. We're more from Nick in just a bit. Song of the Week is from churches, but first, a dumb bit. for another installment of it's facebook not factbook so a friend of mine from high school posted something on facebook uh, as usual a, a spurious meme but it wasn't the same guy that usually posts them in fact this guy uh, i'm not actually friends with on facebook which, which is weird maybe i probably should be but a little background uh, he was a year ahead of me in school, we knew each other from TV production class, and his uh, folks got wealthy because they got in on the ground floor of the Herbalife Pyramid. So they did very well for themselves, and he is uh, quite conservative, and he posted this meme, which uh, it's kind of a two-part meme. It's it's actually two parts Facebook, not Factbook. Top half shows Hillary Clinton with the quote, I will get the NRA shut down for good if I become president. If we can ban handguns, we will do it. And then it says right below it, Hillary Clinton interview with the Des Moines Register, August 8th, 2015. And then below that, picture of our founding father, George Washington. When government takes away citizens' right to bear arms, it becomes citizens' duty to take away government's right to govern. George Washington, that's a quote. <clears throat> it's not an accurate quote, of course, because it's Facebook, not Factbook. So that one is uh, nonsense. And we think, well, the one above, a Hillary Clinton interview with the Des Moines Register, August 8th, 2015, surely... Who would make that up? Well, somebody did. She never said it. And uh, a, a guy named uh, Al Baldassaro, he is a representative from New Hampshire, uh, posted this on his Facebook page. Now, I don't know if it originated with him, but there is a fella in New Hampshire, a progressive. He has run their website called Miscellany Blue. And I don't see I'm not. I'm using a different computer today, so I, I'm really having trouble getting this organized here. But uh, this has been going around the internet, and of course, it's complete and utter nonsense. And uh, it's it's just, I mean, it doesn't even sound like something she would say in that way, you know? I mean, I know as progressives we're for gun control, but uh, it doesn't even sound like something someone would say even on the subject of gun control. Now, she has said that, you know, we need to stand up to the NRA. She said that in debates before, and she is exactly right, because the NRA is a strong lobbying organization, and you may think, well, what what about the rights of gun owners? Well, the NRA doesn't really care about the rights of gun owners. They're a gun manufacturing lobby. It's, to maybe, uh, to give an example that would be uh, pleasing to more conservative friends, it's like saying the UAW cares about people that drive cars. They don't. They care about auto workers, which is what they should care about. And it's not wrong the NRA is a uh, lobby for gun manufacturers. Everybody has a lobby. Every company has a lobby until we change the laws. That's that's the way it is. But to think that they're, you know, looking out for the rights of gun, no, they want they want the people to buy as many guns as possible. That That's all it is. So uh, a, a double whammy here today on its Facebook, not Factbook. Hillary Clinton and founding father George Washington, both uh, with bogus quotes. And remember, kids... It's Facebook, not Facebook.
but this episode of pf's tape recorder is brought to you by home shirts cleveland for all of your northeast ohio vintage t-shirt needs visit homeshirts.com forward slash cleveland you'll also find links to the original cincy shirts site as well as home shirts indianapolis with more cities to come that's homeshirts.com forward slash cleveland now on with the show Nick Thune is a stand-up comedian originally from Seattle, Washington, and you may know him as a correspondent from The Tonight Show. His guitar-slinging comedy brought him fame, but now he's moved away from that and is concentrating more on storytelling. Here now is our interview with Nick Thune. How you doing? Pretty good. Um, hey, sorry about sorry yesterday didn't work out. I, I mean, oh, that's uh, okay. Yeah, I yeah, didn't check my phone until... Much later, I was already at home. Um, uh, let me ask, first of all, can we use the audio for this on my podcast? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Let me welcome you in, and then we'll uh, get going from there. Okay, joining us on PF's Tape Recorder, it's Nick Thune. Nick, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. We uh, did this years and years ago, but oddly, even though you've come to uh, Minneapolis and Cincinnati, where I also write, uh, a number of times, we haven't spoken for years, which is just that's one of those things, I guess, that just happens in this business. Was the last time uh, in Cincinnati or Minneapolis? I don't even know. <laughs> I'd have to look that up. I'm not even uh-huh. sure. It might have been for both. I often use um, the articles. For, if, they're, if they're six months apart, I can usually you know, use parts of one for the other. Uh, so it might have been a case where I interviewed you for one, used the interview for the other, and then uh, and there you have it. I'm not sure if the noise just came across. I tried to do it discreetly, but I just shot a snot rocket out of my nose off my balcony. Oh, very nice. How far did you Sorry, get it? Might clear my voice up a little bit for the right. podcast. Awesome. Um, well, that's a handy skill to have. Uh, I was going to mm-hmm. ask, what was new with you? I know you've got a, a special on Netflix right now. Yeah, I do. And uh, so, what else is new with you? What else is the what's the latest and the greatest? I know folks know you, of course, from being a correspondent on the Tonight Show. Uh, what's happening lately with you? Um, just been out touring, actually. I just got back from a European tour, and um, now I'm relaxing on my balcony for a little bit, and got a few days at home, and then I'm going to go back out on the road to Vancouver, and, and then I think Minneapolis. That's in a week and a half or two weeks, maybe. I'm not yeah. quite sure what, how dates work or how time works. <laughs> or how calendars work. You might want yeah. to look into that. In your line of work, that might be a handy skill to have. It um, would help out a lot. Yeah. yeah. So where is home now? Is it New York or Los Angeles? It's Los Angeles. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And let me. It's, I've, I was seeing some of your uh, more recent stuff there. Have uh, you kind of dialed back the music part of the uh, of the show and more for? Yeah. Okay. It, it seems that way. Uh, why? Why that yeah, direction? Um. You know, just in in the. Um in the desire to take risks and do something different and not just making the same thing over and over again with different words. And, oh, okay. You, you know, experimenting and just trying to grow as a performer. You no. know, I don't think it's, I don't think you can grow if you just kind of sit in the same place and, and try and recreate the same thoughts. That's true. Is there any music in the show these days? Uh, my, my new hour that I'm right now kind of workshopping and getting ready to do another special with is just zero guitar. Every oh, wow. now and again, the venue will have one there for me, so I'll pick it up and play it a little bit. But yeah, it's it's really just me trying to stretch myself and get better. You know, I mean, it, it's 
it kind of got boring after a while for me to just be doing the same thing. So were the songs kind of confining? I mean, in a way, they're people find them interesting and it's a nice skill set to have but ultimately was it did you feel kind of a little boxed in by it yeah i mean there's there's a few hassles about it i mean you get yeah you get kind of get people come like just something as simple as somebody introducing you as a musical comedian which is not what i was i was playing music behind band you know something like that just bothered me that kind of like connotation with it and then also um Traveling with a guitar was absolute hell, and so that was one of the things that really kind of pushed me. Like, do, do you really want to continue to go through TSA with a guitar? Have them ask what the battery's for, and huh. you know, it's like I don't, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Hmm. It's made my life easier in general. Okay. Um, now, for the benefit of the podcast listener, I, th- I vaguely remember this from our last interview. You're from Seattle originally, correct? Mm-hmm. And did you start out yeah. as a music guy or a comedy guy? I mean, imagine in Seattle, it's more music-focused, but how did your how did your artistic expressions first kind of make themselves known? Yeah, it was more music in the beginning, and then um, I realized I was horrible at it, and so I, I thought, maybe there's another way to do music where I don't have to take myself so seriously. And, um, and then I kind of found a funny character and a guy that does kind of take himself pretty seriously and there's comedy in that and that's kind of how my comedy was born I think and but I also was inspired by people like Martin Mull and oh yeah you now, know uh, Fred Willard and these guys that really can throw jokes away and, and kind of play this you know dense character yeah oh yeah yeah it's funny you should say Martin Mull a, a buddy of mine I went to high school with uh, he was on the show he wrote a, a book uh, not a comedy book, a, a horror. Uh, it's actually a horror screenplay. They turned it into a book. Anyway, he is allegedly, and I say allegedly because this is my friend Bob. He's allegedly best buds with Martin Mull because we're all from Cleveland, and he's happened to run into him at a Browns backers uh, bar in Santa Monica. I said, "Oh, you've got to get Martin to do my show." Go, oh, yeah, no problem. It's been three months, and I'm never gonna hear from Martin Mull. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I casually interact with his daughter on social media. Oh, okay. Yeah, that guy's and that's a... the closest I am to. She's really funny. She's she she's a writer, um, and she actually writes really funny comics. Oh, that's you know, cool. Because he's an artist. He's, oh, yeah. He's beyond, you know, he's he's a painter. He's yeah, he's yeah. Just a multifaceted right artist, which is so cool. Uh, overlooked genius, I think, applies to that guy. Yeah. I mean, you think yeah. about it, America Tonight, and all the stuff. Well, you're a little younger than me, but you might remember Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and you know, America. Tonight oh yeah, and all Fernwood. That. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. And then I forgot he did yeah. all those comedy albums back in the seventies. Um, in fact, the one song I, actually, I yeah, I just moved. Uh, I had a little studio that I go to to get creative and get stoned in and work. And um, <laughs> I have like a record collection that I haven't really dusted off for a while. And I just moved to a new studio, so I kind of brought it over there. And I opened it up, and I realized I have every single album on vinyl that Martin Mull ever made. That's cool. Some of the some some in case I have two copies of some of them. Oh wow. Let's give Jesus Christ the football. Yeah. Remember that song? When I, was, I was like seven, and my mom's friend played that for us. I thought, that this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, he just has these great... You know, his cadence is what really inspired me, I think, and that's kind of how I started is this... You know, there's a sarcastic tone to it, but sure. also there's this kind of... Uh, you know, like somebody that's just trying to brush something by you and, and yeah. without hoping, hoping that you never really get what he was really saying. But I really enjoy. 
And now that you mention it, I can see it. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't have occurred to me before that. So it's kind of neat. It's, it's, it's a good way for inspiration to, to work as to where it inspires you to where people can, can see it. But then it's not like, oh, this is just, I'm watching, you know, the same thing. Um, so were you in bands at all or at all? Or how, how seriously did you take music before you figured you were rubbish at it? I was in I was in a band, um, never like in a real serious band. I, I mean, I tried to be, and I tried to write a few songs, and then I played actually guitar in like the church the church band for a little bit. Uh, that's kind of where I learned how, learned how to play when I was in my teens. That's cool. And then you know, it's an easy way to to learn how to play GCD over and over again. <laughs> uh, and then after that, I was in a cover band with some of the guys that I met in the church band that were kind of over the whole church band aspect. And, uh, sure. We were, we, we were a cover band that didn't take ourselves very seriously. We were called No Oblos. And we um, mostly played like Latin America songs, like, you know, Ricky Martin, that kind of stuff. Oh. As, as a joke. Okay. And then I started performing during the intermission. And that was uh, kind of where I decided to start focusing more on the performance aspect rather than the music aspect. And was it a case where you kind of had like some woody banter uh, between tunes? Mm-hmm. And, okay, yeah. Because uh, a lot of people have f- discovered that Mary Max, another one that she started off in a, uh, like in a, uh, uh, not a Dixieland band, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, but she was in a band. Bluegrass? Bluegrass, yes, thank you. <laughs> the word escaped my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, she started in a bluegrass band and of course they had to set up between songs and she just started, you know, chattering between songs and people thought wow you're really funny and then she that's where she got the the impetus to make the leap over um to comedy yeah you know what's funny is a lot of musicians you know i mean this is kind of a, a saga that everyone has talked about forever but sure. you know musicians want to be comedians comedians want to be musicians yeah yeah when musicians get big enough they kind of cultivate an audience that worships them in a way and and they can talk between songs and get laughs yeah and so they and it, it almost comes across to them like, wow, I could do this, no problem. But what they don't realize is everyone out there is sucking their dick in a way to where they could say anything and they would think it was just, oh my God, he spoke for a second. Wow, you know, it just blows them away. I and heard, um, yeah. it's kind of a funny thing. But there, I think there are some musicians right now like Father John Misty and, and some other people that are truly funny and, and sardonic and like could be comedians, actually. Oh, and I heard John Maris tried to go up at uh, the comedy store in L.A. with varying degrees of yeah. success. I, I think I heard that on Pardo's show, and uh, that's that's a strange one. And it's it's you think about it though, it's easier for I guess uh, comedians to kind of become musicians because like Eddie Murphy did it uh, as an example off the top of my head. But it's a little harder, I yeah. think, for the to go backwards and for established musicians to say, oh, "I'm going to do stand-up comedy now," because you know. No one's gonna take that. Seriously. Yeah, because you it's you're very vulnerable and, and um when you're a musician you don't have to say anything and you just kinda look cool. Yeah. So to not look cool for a second would be tragic to a musician's career, I believe. Yeah, and it it seems generally speaking, that as a comedian you can have a, a longer career and be relevant, whereas you get older as a musician, unless you're huge, it's really hard, you know, to to keep people interested. Yeah, but if you have a hit song you can live forever. That's true. That's true. Like uh, Nick Lowe, uh, and you can play you can play that hit song forever. I mean, yeah. that's the difference or just, between comedy. I, you know, I know that like Cosby when he tours, he'll he'll like this is old. I mean, I saw him 
one of the first live stand-up acts I saw was Bill Cosby, actually. And I remember he, he did like three hours, and at the end he, he did his old Dennis bit or whatever. Yeah. And that's kind of the closest you get. And I'm not talking about Cosby here to get into like rape allegations or anything. No, say. no. <laughs> you know, as a comedian, that's the closest you get to playing your hit song. Like, maybe you make it as long as he made it. And people remember a classic bit, and you just kind of throw it in at the end. Whereas, you know, a band comes out with their gunslinging playing the fucking hits. <laughs> well, not even that, but like I was saying, Nick Lowe, he made all his money. He had a top ten hit with Cruel to be Kind. And, um, but he's, I saw him in concert once and he said he spent the money about as fast as it came in. But this other song he wrote, which famously done by Elvis Costello, uh, winds up on the Bodyguard soundtrack. That's it. Mailbox money for the rest of his life. Yeah, really? Yeah. That's the, wow. Yeah. That's the thing you got, the thing you got to do. And, uh, I guess as a, a, a musician slash comedian, there's a chance you could do that versus a guy, you know, guys that strictly do jokes all the time. Like you're saying, that's a lot harder to pull off because there's, you know, no, yeah. No matter how yeah, popular. but you really can't. I mean, when you have people coming out, when people come out to see comedy, they don't want to see something they've already seen. Yeah, know? no, but I'm I mean, saying if you can get that song, you're, you write that one song, you can get into a commercial or get used on a TV show or a yeah, soundtrack yeah, yeah. or something. That's you know, that's where the gravy train starts. So that's true. Well, and, and when, when you start a song out, if it's an, if it's not a song, if it's not stand up, you just start the song and you end the song, and yeah. everything in between is song. Yeah, and that's what people expect. But when you're starting a joke, and if it's a music aspect, it's you need laughs. Or there's time, you know what I mean? Like it, it, you can't just kind of bust the song out, whether or not it goes over well. Do you find that writing songs and writing a comedy bit kind of follow a, a similar structure? Because when I I used to write songs, and I just stopped all of a sudden in my late twenties and haven't written a song since. But I remember I kind of approached it the same way as writing comedy in that. I just kind of write down all the things on the side I wanted to include in it and then tried to fold those in as I could. Uh, do you find you do that, or is it a different approach for the two disciplines for you? You know, I, I, I as far as writing a song, if it's, to me, if, if you have a melody, it's really easy to write a song. I mean, if you, if you kind of come up with like an easy progression in a melody, whereas writing a joke is, can be totally different in writing comedy. It's it's kind of a it's it's this overwhelming feeling of you, you almost feel paralyzed, like you can't write comedy for me. Yeah, and it takes sitting down and just actually for me putting pen to paper. And um, whereas you know if I type it, I just can't quite get it out right away. Whereas you know. Once things start rolling, as I'm handwriting things, it's almost like my my brain is like ten words ahead of where my hand is. Ah, and and kind of this like you're forcing words out. Your handwriting's getting worse, and you're getting excited, and you just don't want to forget the thought. And it kind of turns into this race of of hand versus brain, <laughs> which to me is like when I, when I when I feel that happening, it I can tell something significant. At least for me, is happening. You know? Yeah. So, what kind of things are you working on uh, on stage these days? Is it? I know a lot of it. There's there's stories in there, and is it personal stories, or is it, uh, you observing the the current events and the news and society, or what's what's the breakdown? Um, I guess the focus is me, <laughs> my life, and and just you know, yeah. What I'm what I'm going through right now, as far as being a new father and and, and supporting a family and and. Growing up, essentially, I guess, trying to be more responsible, trying to be a better person. 
I think the, you know the beginning of my act right now starts off that I have a desire to be a good person, which also makes me realize that I'm a bad person because no good person has ever had that desire. <laughs> they just are, you know. And so it, it's kind of this fight of fighting this this brain that um, is cynical and wants to make everything into comedy and into a guy that needs to, you know, be serious every now and again. And actually, um, you know, I don't know, like I told the whole story in the Tonight Show about my dog eating a wheat brownie, which, yeah, you know, is um, that's that thing right there. Like a guy that puts a wheat brownie in a backpack on the ground compared to a guy that gets a wheat brownie and says, you know what, I'm never going to just throw it away or hmm. let's put this in a high place where nobody will ever find it and maybe I'll eat it someday. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's just simple, these small little decisions. <laughs> and I'm kind of focusing on that and and the juxtaposition of a, of a guy who is trying to learn from these mistakes <laughs> that just really isn't. And do you feel like you're making progress and moving in the right direction or is it still a challenge? Yeah, I mean, every time, you know, it's funny. I, I Over Christmas, I took three weeks off and then went to Hawaii with my family and and then went and did a show in Chicago and did two shows in one night at the Rock Club there. And the first show went fine. It was great. And kind of went off stage and it just didn't feel right. And I thought, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. It's just, it just doesn't feel right. I think I need to rethink everything. And unfortunately, in the hour between shows, I didn't have enough time to rethink everything. So I had to do the same hour. <laughs> and then, um, the second show, I walked off realizing everything I'm doing is right right now. You know, it's just funny. It's just an up and down as a performer in different audiences. And do you I think doubting doubting yourself is good and then going back up with that doubt and fighting to make it relevant again and then coming up and feeling like, you know what, I am doing, you know, follow your instincts, keep on. And do you feel that that, since, you know, you're in the business of uh, uh, introspection to a certain extent, uh, do you feel that helps you more than, say, an athlete or a banker or something like that? Or do you just think that your introspection just happens to be more public and you know, maybe these folks are going through the same thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it, introspection is interesting and, it's, and sometimes it's, it's maybe the magnifying glass is a little too magnified, like I'm looking too close and thinking about it too much. And, 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 uh, I, you know, I wonder about that with athletes, especially athletes that I like in, in important situations. Like, man, are they in their head right now? Or are they just going to be who they are and do what they do? And, um, that, you know, I, I just did a week in London at a really kind of famous theater in London. And two shows in, it was a difficult show. The audience is different. The culture is different. I just I thought, like, what am I doing? Like, what? <laughs> is this even relevant to these people? And then again, the next show, because I, I thought that it actually brought something else out of me. I think some more humility, which I think over there goes a long way. Yeah. Especially if you're American. And, um, and it kind of just saw this different side of my set. Like, oh, what if I, if I deliver it from this angle and people are rooting for me a little bit more? And that's interesting. You know, I don't know. So it, this introspection brings different aspects into the set, whether or not you learn from it or not is something too. So how thrilling was that second set when you when you locked in and figured out you know cracked the code, and uh, you know were able to get the audience with you? Well, I'm sorry. What was the first part of helicopter? Uh, uh, how how did that feel when in, during that second show when you cracked the code and were able to connect with the audience? Amazing. You know, it just yeah. That's 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 the high that makes you continually chase that that high. <laughs> you know, it's 
I mean, I guess it's just the closest thing to doing drugs you can you can do. And it's also kind of a you know a um, a ride or die sort of a moment. You know, you people are especially if people are people are paying twenty bucks a ticket or whatever they're paying to see you, and you're not feeling it, but you go out there and you try your hardest to give it to them. It's it's a really weird thing. You know, you you really. And I'm just not. I'm just getting used to that. Where I'm, I'm finally considering the audience a little more, and just you know, I'm not like some prick up on stage. It's like fuck you guys. You get what you get. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Nick Boone. <laughs> you know. I, mean, I, I think maybe musicians can do that a little bit, but I'm. Yeah. Know, at least I'm not there yet. So I started to really consider, like, all right, maybe you are feeling this way, but you need to turn away from that and uh, focus a little bit on what these people are looking to get. Yeah, that's and it's and like an athlete though. It's like if you're if you're tossing up bricks, you know, you can get a little nervous until you can refocus and uh, you know. But uh, and, and in a way, I guess it'd be harder because during something physical, you know, you can you can correct your shot. But if it's in a, something more subjective like comedy, you can't always adjust your shot. So it must be even more rewarding when you're able to turn that around. I would imagine. Yeah, and if you're too much in your head about it, like just like adjusting your shot, you know, like a, a guy's shooting a free throw and he's thinking yeah. about. How much pressure do I put on my left hand again as I push the ball out to yeah. my right? You know, whereas timing and, and delivery, sometimes you can really get in your head about it. I mean, it's funny. The things I find myself thinking about as I'm on stage telling jokes, there could be in a whole other world. As far as like, why is that girl three rows back not smiling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm also in the middle of telling it something totally different. But Yeah, that's funny. And then you find yourself focusing and trying to refocus your whole set to that one girl. And then it's like, wait a second, I'm not trying to appease her. <laughs> Everyone else is enjoying themselves. Who cares about her? You know, it's, yeah, there may be fighting for one person in the audience actually can get the audience all together. You know? Yeah. Well, it sounds like things are moving in the right direction for you, sir. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I think I just got maybe way too uh, deep and introspective, but oh, no, hopefully that turns into a, an interesting article. Yeah, yeah, it should. And if, if nothing else, an interesting podcast, and I'll still get some article stuff out of it as well. So, uh, yeah, and the article just say, this guy's amazing. You have to see the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think if, uh, that is uh, not debatable. I think you're a, you're a known commodity. <laughs> you're a successful headlining comedian, so I think people will, you know. Well, Minneapolis is one of those cities that I... I, I never am worried going there as yeah. far as audience. And just, the Acme is just such a great club, and, and they really have cultivated uh, an audience to trust them and who they decide to show them. Exactly. Same thing in Cincinnati here with the Go Bananas. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mike over at Go Bananas and, and, and Lewis over at um, Acme are just having two of the greatest guys that are running clubs right now. Well, great, man. Have a good time in Minneapolis. Hope we'll see you back in Cincinnati sometime soon. And, uh, yeah, I'm actually just about to go to an interview to try and get my son into a private preschool. Oh, wow. Really fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, Wish man. Good luck. Well, good luck with that. Get those snot rockets out before you go in, and, uh, and, uh, good luck. Yeah, thanks a lot. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. All right. Bye. See ya. Thanks. 
Thanks again to Nick Thune for being on the show. You can catch Nick March 1st through the 5th at the Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis. We're going to forego the usual credits and all that sort of thing. Uh, kind of recording on the fly this week. It's been a bit of a hectic week around these parts. Song of the Week is from Churches. Clearest Blue is the name of the track. Radio 1, of course, has been on this a lot. They're big Churches fans as well. So here is our Song of the Week from Churches. Clearest Blue, PS Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. Thank you.